Psalm 23. The Lord took me in here. And I had an encounter in this psalm. And life-changing. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, let's just stop there for a minute. The Lord is my shepherd. Oh, I lost my notes. Okay, it doesn't matter. Praise the Lord. I have another note in here. This one's taped into my Bible. Uh, now I'm going to get distracted. No, I won't. In the name of Jesus, I will not. I'm putting that over top of the note, so I don't even see that that was there. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. Just stop there. Just stop right there. Just breathe that in. Just receive that word. The Lord is your shepherd. Now, just that one statement does two different things. Number one, it puts things into perspective. It begins to clarify positions, responsibilities. And number two, it gives us a revelation that if he's the shepherd and he's my shepherd, then that would make me the sheep. Okay? Somebody say, I'm a sheep. He's the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not just your mama's shepherd or your grandma's shepherd. He's not just your grandfather or your brother or your cousins or the pastors or the evangelists or the prophetic people's shepherd. He is your shepherd. What this verse, what this, uh, this one statement does, not the entire verse, but what the statement does, the Lord is my shepherd. When David declares this, he's bringing clarity to give us an understanding that if the Lord is my shepherd, if I'm the sheep and he's a shepherd, then this puts things into perspective that he's got to take care of me. Actually, I was so, so moved, impacted by just the statement. It was late at night and nobody else was around and I was going through kind of a difficult situation. And I was sitting there in the dark room and I didn't have access to all of my books. And I love books. It's one of my favorite things to receive as a seed. When people come up to me and they say, I wrote a, a new book, the revelations God gave me, or my testimony. Or, it, gets me, it, it really thrills me. It really gets me excited because I love to receive that seed. I love books. I love learning. I love, and at any given time, I have 10, 15 books piled up on um, my bedside. Uh, I have them in the, the kitchen. I have them in my library. I have them all places. I love books, but I didn't have access to any of my Bible dictionaries. I didn't have access to any of my study uh, books. And I'm sitting in this room, and all I've got is my phone. And there's something that I've learned, two things. If you don't know something, number one, ask the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal it right away and you need to know, number two, ask Google. Yes, right. Ask Google. This is something that every believer needs to follow, these instructions. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit. Number two, ask Google. The reason why I'm sharing this is because too many people, number one, they, they might ask the Holy Spirit, but then number two, you know what? They don't go to Google. They call Pastor Andrew. They call Pastor Rebecca. They get on the phone and they try to ask the pastor, Pastor, 
How am I going to pay my bill? Pastor, how am I going to clean up my garage? Pastor, how am I going to move my stuff down the road? Pastor, how am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? Ask Google. Just ask Google. Okay. (laughs) Now, what's really amazing is when you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, how do I do it? A few years ago, we had gotten for our our little baby legacy, she was going to be born. And so we went out and we got this old uh, dresser drawer that really needed to be refurbished, but it was a beautiful piece of furniture. Nobody would ever make a piece of furniture like that anymore. And so we, we bought that and we wanted it to be refurbished and so we took it to this lady who had um, a store that specialized in that and she promised us the world how beautiful this uh, piece of furniture was going to be and when she got done with it it looked like a worse piece of junk than before she even got it and uh, so I had to ask the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit what am I going to do with this piece of furniture what should I do and you know what he told me yeah Google it. Yeah. Now, that's amazing. When the Holy Spirit tells you, go to Google. And uh, what's really amazing about it is that Jesus was a carpenter. He should be able to give you the step-by-step instructions what to do. But he said, just go to Google. (laughs) I got other people to speak to. Just go to Google and just get the instructions there. He actually led me over to YouTube, and I found all the instructions, what I need to do, and I did it, and it was wonderful. Okay. So I'm sitting in this room, and uh, I'm impacted by this scripture, and what I want to know is, the Lord is my shepherd, I know that, but what I really want to know is, I want to know what are the responsibilities of the shepherd, because if the Lord is my shepherd, then what's his responsibility? What does that really mean? And so because I didn't have my scriptural resources, I went to Google, and I typed in, what are the responsibilities of a shepherd? And the response that I got was a Google response. So this is not from uh, Bible study tools, but this is literally the response of Google. And this is written on my notes, so I'm going to recall it from memory instead of looking at the notes, because I don't have them. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh The primary responsibility of the shepherd is to to protect and to watch over the welfare, the well-being of his flock, something like that. It's basically protection, and it was basically well-being. It gives an understanding that the purpose of the shepherd is to lead and to guide, to protect, to provide, to bring healing. And I love that. Because he is our healer. As our shepherd, he's the healer. He's great physician. And uh, basically any care that you would have in the world, he takes it upon his shoulders. And we sang it tonight. Just shake off and get rid of just all that, the struggle and the weight and all the stuff that you've been carrying. Cast your care upon him. Because he truly cares for you. It's his responsibility to be your shepherd. So what are you worrying about? 
David speaking this revelation, the Lord is my shepherd, his response to that is because he's my shepherd, I shall not be in want. <laughs> Nothing. There's no want. There's no, there's no desire that I could have that he hasn't already taken care of for me. There's nothing in the, the grand plan of my life and the overall scheme of everything. There's nothing that I'm going to need that he hasn't already made available for me because the Lord is my shepherd. So I shall not want. I want you to lift up your hands to the shepherd right now. Just lift up your hands as his sheep. Just lift up your hands to the shepherd because some of you have been Buying about sickness. Some of you have been buying about financial situations. Some of you have been buying about your family. But right now, he just wants you to reach out to him and look at him and realize that he's the shepherd and he's got you in the palm of his hand. Oh, yeah, he's right there. Look, at he's right there. He's right there standing beside you. He's never left you. He's never gone anywhere. There's no reason to fear because the shepherd is right here. Huh. He is the glory. And he's the lifter of your head. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you lift up our life. Lord, that you, your plans for us are good, that you know the plans that you have for us, plans to prosper us, plans for our blessing, plans for our good success, not plans to harm us, but plans to do us good. Lord, I thank you for it right now. I want you to lift up your hands to the shepherd. Just lift up your hands into glory and just begin to see the miracles that the shepherd has for you. Just begin to see the provisions that the shepherd has for you right now. And I want by faith, I want you just to begin to receive them in this atmosphere. Just begin to pull them down and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for being my shepherd. Thank you that there is supply in the supernatural that's beginning to move from that dimension into the natural realm. Lord, I thank you that you're causing the abundance of heaven to flow into my life right now. Worry is leaving. Doubt is leaving. Anxiety is leaving. Depression is leaving. The weight of the world is leaving. And the weight of your glory is coming upon me instead that's so filled with joy and peace and love and kindness. And there's new patience. Oh, my God. And, Lord, all these wonderful God emotions begin to overtake me right now. Because I can see that you are my shepherd and I have no reason to want. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. This psalm, the Lord began to show me that Psalm 23 is actually, I've renamed it for me. And this is not, I'm not telling everybody to rename it. But for me, I've renamed it. This is the pathway of glory. Psalm 23 is a pathway of glory, and I'm going to show this to you. It starts with the shepherd. In order to go anywhere, you have to have a guide, okay? Whether you're self-guided, that means by yourself, you're your own guide, or whether you hire somebody who's 
knows what they're doing or you go and you get somebody who's experienced because they've been there before. Whenever you're wanting to go on a journey, you've got to have a guide. Okay? And the pathway of glory, Jesus Christ as the good shepherd is your guide. And this is where it starts right here. And then look at this. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. My shepherd begins to lead me and he leads me to a place of struggle, anxiety, hardship, striving. You know where he leads me? To the green pasture. And this is absolutely remarkable because there's so many things in your life that would try to lead you astray and try to take you into a place of struggle and striving and being anxious and a place of feeling so absolutely overwhelmed by everything. But the place that the good shepherd is leading you is into the green pastures and he makes you to lie down. And he doesn't just say, look, isn't that wonderful? He says, lie down and stay a while. Just stay, just calm your soul. Just stay a while. Last weekend I was in Germany, I mentioned to you, and I had the privilege of driving from Munich to Stuttgart. We flew into, in and out of Munich. You know what that means? Autobahn. Yeah, between Munich and Stuttgart, you get on the Autobahn, and baby, there are no limits. Hallelujah. That is the glory realm right there. Glory realm. You can feel the glory all over the Autobahn. Really. I've got pictures, 210 kilometers an hour, driving down the Autobahn. And you know what's amazing about this? I'm not breaking any laws. You can, you can drive these speeds with such a peaceful conscience, knowing that you're not disobeying or breaking the laws of the land, but you're actually driving in the glory. Hallelujah. So here, here I was driving from Munich to Stuttgart, and the majority of the drive, it's the beautiful green rolling hills and the pastures and the meadows of Germany. And it really is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And there's something so peaceful about being out there. You know, it's not crowded. You're not struggling to be seen or to be noted. There's something about this world that's, that's always trying to put you in a situation where you have to struggle to be seen. You have to struggle to be noticed. Always feeling like you're not making a difference. Nobody really cares about it. The truth is the Lord sees you. You know why? Because he, he leads you into that place of the green pasture where he makes you to lay down. And in that place, you're the only one there. Now, this is an awesome revelation. When you are in the glory with God, you've got his full Total and complete devotion. Ha. Ah, his attention, his eyes are on you as your eyes are on him. <laughs> and he makes you to lay down in this place of peace. This spacious place, this wide open place. Wow, where you can really be free. You can be liberated. You can be who you were created to be. Then he continues to lead you in the glory. He leads me beside the still waters. There's something about the, the waters that's so peaceful. Something about waters that speaks of healing. There's something about waters that speaks about life. Speaks about refreshing. It's, it's, it's also a peaceful place. And he leads you in this realm. And then the Bible says, he restores my soul in the glory. 
as God begins to lead you and guide you on this journey of glory, it's in the glory where the restoration of your soul takes place. Your soul can't be restored by your own natural methods of man or do-it-yourself plan. But in the glory, there's a recalibration that takes place. There's a reset that happens where God begins to restore your mind, your will, your emotions. You know what that means? It means you're not going to think the way you used to think. In the, glory, in the glory, there's a change of mindset. And Donna Ray's done such a beautiful job, I've heard, of teaching my book, 31 Days to a Miracle Mindset. How many times have you taught that book? Five times. Oh my gosh, I've got to see this. this whose book is this? Is this yours? This is better than my book. I, I've got a book that I teach out of. I'm going to need photocopies of your book. This is amazing. Look at that. You can tell it's been used. Wow. Wow. Okay, I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about this. Awesome. There's a mindset change. There's a mind shift that takes place in the glory. There's an emotional shift that takes place in the glory. Where, you know, outside of the glory, our emotions are haywire, right? We're led by emotions. We're on an up and down roller coaster all the time. Up, down, up, down, up, down. In the glory, there's a reset. Our emotions come into line with the purposes and plans of God. Our will, all of a sudden, it's not my will, but your will be done. And suddenly, our desire, our will is to do the work of the Father. To do what he would purpose to do through our life. And so this happens in the glory. And you can see this leading and this beautiful thing that God is doing here. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And it's for his name. It's not so that my name will be great. And it's not so that I'll be exalted. But he's leading me in this journey of the glory. This pathway of glory. In order that he would be glorified in and through our lives. That he would get all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. And so you can see how beautiful this is, this journey in the glory, right? And then verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What? I thought we were in the glory. What just happened? Now, did this just turn a corner or did it turn a corner? We were in peaceful meadows. We were beside still waters. We were getting a reset in our emotions, our mind, our will. We were being led down the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And this happens that oftentimes we come into the glory and we're on this journey and everything's opening up so beautifully for us and God is doing miracles and we see signs and wonders that we're smelling the fragrance of heaven and we're feeling the goosebumps and we're laying down slain in the spirit on the floor because the power was so strong. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. My response, my natural response is to say, God, what happened? What happened? How did I end up here? I was worshiping you. I was loving you. 
Lord, I was looking towards you. You said, seek first the kingdom of God. All these things shall be added unto you, all the blessings, all the provisions of heaven. And all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of the valley of the shadow. What happened? This is the pathway of glory. God never promised to us that our life would be without problems. God has never promised us that we would never have difficulty. But what he has promised us is that he will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And when you're going through what you're going through, he will be there as your guide, as your shepherd. To lead you, to direct you, to protect you, to heal you, to restore you, to provide for you. His name is faithful and true. God never promised us, and I think sometimes, and I can only speak for myself, but I think sometimes I've thought about the glory. You know, in the glory there's clearly no problems ever. But the truth is, as we're living our lives in the glory, listen, in the heavenly realm, there ain't no problems. Let me, let me say that. There ain't no problems in heaven. But as we're living our life in glory, we're living our lives. We're living our lives. And the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But as we're living this life, God has a pathway for us in the glory, a way of escape in the glory, that when it looks like the world is closing in and when it feels like you're between a rock and a hard place, when it seems like you can't get out and it's the end of what you're going through, feels like total devastation and there's nowhere else to go. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, it's a different response. In the glory, it's a different response. Because things were lined up in the first verse about perspective. He's my shepherd. I'm just a sheep. I don't have to take that weight on myself. I don't have to take on the weight of the world. I don't have to take on the responsibility for the miracle. He's my shepherd. He's the miracle worker. He's the healer. He's my all in all. And so as I'm navigating in my life, Fixed in his glory. I will fear no evil. Fear can have no hold on me when I'm in the glory. I want you to declare it right now. Fear has no hold on me right now because I'm in the glory. Fear has no hold on me. Now, when when fear loses its power, when fear loses its grip, Uh, guess what happens? Faith comes flooding into your spirit. And suddenly you begin to think things you never thought before. Those reset mindsets, those reset emotions, those reset will. All of a sudden you you begin operating in a different level, a different dimension. Thank you, Jesus. Why? Because you are with me. The glory never leaves you. When you're living in the glory, He's here with you. His glory is with you. The glory loves you. 
and the glory is leading you and He's promised to lead you through what you'll go through. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, can I just say something real quick about the shadow? The valley of the shadow. Number one, this shadow of darkness is completely powerless. Someone say the shadow is powerless. The only shadow in all of time in history that has any kind of power is the anointed shadow of the believer. And that is the shadow of the atmosphere of Christ. You understand? The shadow of death has no power. Do you ever remember being a a child and making shadow puppets? And you could make shadow puppets all day long. And we used to do it, and we used to fight with each other with our shadow. We could even do it down here because I'm, I'm looking at shadows down here on the ground. But we could fight with our shadows and everything. But guess what? At the end of the day, nobody even feels a thing. And the dog and the bunny, they're all like in a big fight and attack, and they're biting each other's throat, and they're all... But there's no power in that shadow. The shadow's powerless. The valley... Oh, the valley... We live in a valley in Palm Springs. Can I tell you something about the valley? There's no dead ends in the valley. There's a way in, but there's also a way out. (laughs) So when you find yourself in the valley, if you found your way in, he's he's your shepherd. He's going to help you find the way out. Hallelujah. And that shadow that you pass through, it has no power. No power. Has no power. Satan has nothing in me. He has no power over me. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. It'll make me feel better if you say it. Okay. Hallelujah. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I found myself two and a half months ago. I had um, come home. Okay, it's a, it's a long story, but I'm going to make it short. I'd come home from a trip, a ministry trip. I was supposed to take Liberty, my five-year-old daughter, to go see a, a doctor that was going to do a biopsy on little bumps that had been under her tongue from the time she was born. Ever since I can remember, she's had these little bumps. Nobody ever knew what they were. So the doctor said he wanted to do a biopsy. He said it was a six-minute procedure. It's like an in-office type procedure. It's not serious. Um, quick recovery. Initially, he said minutes. And after he did the, the biopsy, her tongue was a little bit swollen. And he said, you know what? It's a little bit more swollen than normal. So probably take uh, maybe two hours. And she'll be eating and drinking. And she'll, do, she'll be playing. It'll be just fine. No problem. Just take her home. Just let her rest and just give her liquids and cold things to eat and like ice cream and pudding and, you know, easy things like that. And so that's what we did. So we went home and I decided because I was home and I don't get to be home a lot. Um, I decided I was going to spend the afternoon with Liberty and I got snuggled up with her in her bed. And we made it all nice and cozy and at the, put on her favorite movies. And so we're watching her favorite movie. And um, at the end, I noticed that her tongue, because she was complaining her tongue was hurting her a little bit. 
her tongue looked yellow in appearance. And it wasn't yellow ice cream or yellow popsicle. It just turned yellow. And I thought, that's unusual. And I talked to Janet about it. And Liberty was a little bit bothered by, I think, pain. And so Janet called the hospital. And they said, give her some pain medication. So we did that. And of course, prayed over her and gave her the pain medication. And then uh, we went to watch another movie. And I looked over. And her tongue had turned brown from the yellow to brown. Again, nothing she was eating. It was just her tongue. And now it had swollen even larger. And I was really concerned about it. Janet called back, and they said, give her more pain medicine. I was thinking, I don't think this is the situation because it's not a pain condition now. It's a color situation. So I looked at her tongue again, and now it was turning gray. And it had swollen to probably about three times the size that it had been initially. And uh, it was protruding out of her mouth, and she actually couldn't shut her mouth, and it was really bothering her, and it was bothering me the way that it looked. And Janet called back, and they said, just give her more pain medicine. I thought, that's not the answer. And so I took a picture of her uh, mouth, and I sent it to the doctor, and immediately he called me back. He said, take her to the ER. Something's not right. So I picked her up, and I didn't even put shoes on her or nothing. I mean, I literally just picked her up and took her, Janet and Lincoln and Legacy, we all got in the car. And uh, we drove to the ER, and Janet dropped me off with her, and I carried her in. Janet went and parked the car with the kids. And when I got in there, um, her tongue was turning now black from the gray. It was now turning black. And uh, when they saw it, they were extremely concerned. And the first things that the doctors and the nurses said to me was, it's necrosis of the tongue, which means that the tongue has died. And uh, at that point, actually, I called Melanie. You remember the phone call. Did I tell you what they had said to me? And uh, Melanie, all full of faith, got on the phone with me. She said, absolutely not. She said, that tongue is alive, and it's living, and it's healthy. And she prayed a prayer, and I don't remember any of the words of that prayer, really. But what I do know is that it put new faith in me to stand in what I was about to go through. Now, faith is voice activated. When someone speaks the word of God to you, it's the most powerful thing they can do because they're opening up a new realm of faith, new realm for miracles on the inside of you. Hallelujah. And uh, so we went in, and of course, we were telling the doctor, we said, no, her tongue is alive, it's healthy, and they were saying necrosis and dead. And they were already starting to talk about the removal of my daughter's tongue from her mouth. Now, the tongue is an extremely resilient is it an organ or muscle of the body. Muscle, I think. I think it's a muscle. And, uh, but because it's so vascular, oftentimes, you know, people, uh, well, maybe not oftentimes, but there's times people bite off their, a piece of their tongue or, um, you know, different instances. Actually, the, the doctors even told us about, and they said it's no problem because the, the tongue is so amazing the way that God created it. It just heals on its own and it... You go on and, you know, maybe you have a little bit of a shorter tongue or a little indentation on the side of your tongue, but you're fine and you can talk and you can eat and all that kind of stuff. And they were talking about removing her tongue because it was dead. And they told us the only way that it can turn black like that is because it's lost the flow of oxygen and it's lost the flow of blood. So we're declaring over her that her tongue is healthy, that it's alive, that it's that it's totally whole. 
And we're thinking about all the words that the Lord has given us for our daughter, that she'd be a singer. If you ask Liberty, what does she love to do? She'll tell you, I'm a singer. She always said that. I'm a singer. I love to sing, you know. And it's funny because about a month and a week and a half earlier, I had been over in Europe and I couldn't be at home to tuck her in. And so Janet made a little video of the bedtime ceremony and uh, Liberty wanted to sing me a little song. And so she recorded this video and Liberty singing scriptures that she learned at school. And it was this song, keep your tongue from evil, keep your tongue, keep your tongue from evil, keep your tongue and your lips from speaking lies. Keep your tongue from evil, keep your tongue. A lot cuter when Liberty sings it. And, uh, but she was singing this song about the tongue. And now I'm looking at my daughter. Her tongue has turned black. It looks like a stone. It's hard. It's firm. It's protruding out of her mouth. It literally looks like she had a a stone in her mouth. And she was chewing down on a stone that was in her mouth. But that was her tongue. And the doctors are telling us that they may have to remove it. They have to figure out what's going on. And so, of course, they need to secure an airway. And because everything is swollen inside of her throat because of what's happening with the tongue, that they're not sure that they can even put a tube down. And so they start talking about a tracheotomy and uh, cutting open her throat. And that, you know, she'll have to have this. And I said, she's not going to have a trach. And they said, yes, she will. And I said, no, she won't. And they said, well, it's possible that she will. And you need to sign the papers. I said, I'm not signing papers because she's not going to have a trach. They said, why do you say that? I said, because she's not going to have a trach. Now... I've heard stories of people who have had medical situations in the ministry. I've heard a lot of stories. And I hear about, you know, people have to stand up and they have to stand on the word and they have to really defend their faith and really believe and really occupy their atmosphere. But until you've done it yourself, you have no clue what kind of a battle that is. I mean, really. And uh, I'm thankful to God that he is my shepherd and that he walked me through this whole situation. And I'm glad that I'm on the other side of it now. But what I do want to say is this. I'm glad that I walked through it because now when someone comes to me and they said, they, they tell me what the doctor said, I understand it's not just like a little suggestion the doctor gives you. But sometimes there's an absolute battle for your mind. There's a battle over your health. There's a battle over your well-being. My gosh. We were in this battle and the doctor pulled me aside because he was doing it in front of Liberty. And of course, she's crying because she's trying to talk to us and she can't. We don't understand anything she's saying because it's like she's got this huge stone in her mouth. And she's trying to talk and we can't figure it out. And and she's uncomfortable and she she's scared. And and so the doctor's saying all this stuff in front of about the trach and all that. And I'm saying no trach. And so he pulls me outside and we're outside this curtain and he says, listen to me. If you don't sign the papers to give her a trach, then she's going to die. That's the battle you face. Literally, hours after, we've been told, six-minute surgery, biopsy, real quick, just take a little sample, no problem, recovery. Hours later, he's telling me, if I don't sign a paper for him to cut more stuff open, then she's going to die. Janet and I, we stood up and we said, She will live and she will not die and she will declare the glory of the Lord. We literally told the doctor. And he's looking at us like, what are you talking about? I realized by wisdom, the only way he was going to proceed in securing an airway was if I signed the paper. But there was no way I was going to sign a paper 
for more operations and more than what needed to be done. So I asked the Lord about it. He said, well, now that he told you she'll die if you don't sign the paper, then sign the paper to life. But still declare she's not going to have a trach. Well, that's scary. Because once you sign the paper, you sign the paper. So they can now do it if that's what they want to do. So we signed the paper, and we started in the spirit declaring. And I tell you, we started speaking in tongues. And there were, listen, there were a lot of other people around. It really doesn't matter. I believe as I was praying in tongues, they were getting their miracle also. And uh, so we're praying in tongues, and Liberty's taken into the operating room now. And we beg the doctor, please, if at all possible, please put in the tube. Do not just go for the trach. Please try to secure an airway with a tube, least invasive. And uh, and so we're, we're praying in the spirit. I don't know how long it was, but the doctor came out, and he, he had a look on his face like he was absolutely surprised and shocked, and he was so excited to tell us. He said, we were able to put a tube. He said, I don't know how we did it. It looked like it was impossible, but we put a tube. We secured the airway with a tube. Well, that was the first miracle. Okay, and I got an email from somebody they they wrote. They said, Brother Joshua, you are so double minded. Because you got her in the hospital, but you're asking for miracles. If you were double, if you uh, weren't double minded, then you'd pull her off all the the tubes and all the stuff she's hooked up on and you just take her home. You just trust God. Now. I think. This is what I personally believe. We should always believe God for the miracle. Always, no matter what. Always believe God for the miracle. But not only is God the spirit of miracles, he's also the spirit of wisdom. There's a lot of things you could do and you could blame God, but really at the end of the day, it's just your stupidity. It's time that the church cast out the spirit of stupid. Really. Really. <laughs> so it's a very long testimony, but this is what happened. The next day, she goes for her first test. And at this point, she's unconscious, and they've got her hooked up to the life support, the breathing and the uh, feeding and everything because they they put her under, right, in order for her to be kept alive and be quote-unquote comfortable uh, while they're trying to figure out what's happening with her tongue. And uh, the next day, the first test that they do because they're trying to figure out what's going on, the first test they do, they discover that the arteries have blood pumping through them. Now, they had said the night before that clearly the blood flow had stopped because that's why the tongue was turning black. But now there was blood pumping through the arteries. So we gave God thanks. We gave God praise. And uh, they began to do more tests. They couldn't figure out what was going on. And it went on for about three days. And she was all hooked up to these tubes. I mean, and it kept on looking really, really bad in the natural. And every time the doctor would come in, there was one doctor. Um, I called him Dr. Doom because uh, we ended up, we had to not allow him into the room, actually. Um, he would come in to look at her, but then anytime he wanted to say anything, I told him, you're going to have to say it outside of the room because this is a healing place. In the room, it's a healing place. And so you can't speak these words. You can't write these words. You can't 
do this in the healing place, okay? And so he would go out and then he'd make all of his little predictions. And I'm thankful that in the glory we're not moved by predictions. We have the prophetic promise of his presence. And so everybody can predict whatever they want to predict about your life and about your future and about whatever they want to predict. But the truth is, God's got something better for you. Hallelujah. And uh, so uh, it was about three days, and I found myself in Psalm 23, and I'm sitting at the side of the bed. It's late at night, and uh, I'm reading, and I come to verse 5, and it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And all of a sudden I see in the Spirit that in the middle of what seems like such a horrible moment in my life, as a father, it's I feel the responsibility for my daughter, the well-being, the care of, of her. And all of a sudden, he's teaching me that he's shepherd. She's just a sheep. I'm a sheep, but he's shepherd. Then in the middle of this valley of the shadow, he's preparing a table. And I could see it in the hospital room. I could see this table being prepared for me. And all of a sudden, I realized that in the middle of what you're going through, it's not your responsibility to figure out why you're there or how you got there. Your responsibility is to find the feast that he's prepared in the middle of it. God didn't put sickness on people. God didn't put sickness on my daughter, Liberty. That's what the devil does. But when the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, Jesus has come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. Wow. And... Uh, Whatever the enemy meant for harm, God has a way of turning the whole situation around and using it for your good and your benefit. And that's what he was doing in the middle of the hospital room. He was preparing a table before me, a feast. Hallelujah. Now, you know, in a feast, there's lots of food. You know what he was feeding me? His word. Jesus said, I have food that you know not of. And all of a sudden, I just started to discover it on that table. Oh, really yummy, yummy, yummy food. Some food that I'd never, ever needed before in my life. But all of a sudden it was nourishment for the day. It was my manna. And I was looking at this table and I'm sitting in the hospital and my daughter's in the bed and I'm doing the night shift and there was always either Janet, Angela and I always at her bedside to occupy the atmosphere. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this table and I'm thinking I'm the only one sitting at this table and if it's a feast... You got to have people at the table. But somebody told me, they said, because you're a minister, you can't tell anybody what you're going through. You don't want to make it public. Don't post on Facebook. Don't mention it on Instagram. You know, because everything on Instagram always has to be perfect, right? Come on, give me a break. Anybody who thinks Instagram or Facebook is a reality, What you see on Facebook or Instagram is only, it's all filtered. It's only what people want you to see. There's some people that all they want you to see is all the glamorous, good parts of their life. Guilty as charged, okay? There's other people, all they want you to see is the Debbie Downer moments, okay? For whatever reason. You know, there's people that swing either way. They, they, either it's all really happy or it's... Completely, totally depressed, continually. Uh, <laughs> and there's room at the altar for both, both ends of the spectrum, amen? Uh, 
But somebody said to us, they said, make sure you can't post it. You can't make it public. Just, you know, tell very close friends because, you know, there's crazy people out there. You know what I discovered? The crazies will always be there. Whether you're here or there, the crazies will always be with you. <laughs> I think Jesus said something like this. Okay. And uh, always. Well, don't you know that if you tell somebody what you're going through, then if the witch is here, then they'll start doing their witchcraft and all their kind of curses and they'll, they'll really play on what the enemy is doing and make it a whole lot bigger. Do you believe that the power of God in you is greater than the power of the enemy? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit in you is greater than any demonic curse, any demonic attack assignment? I'm sitting at my table that God's preparing for me with a feast. And I'm the only one sitting at the table and I realize I need some friends at this table because you can't have a feast without your friends. It was a moment of complete vulnerability. A moment of desperation. But a moment of believing the word that he would prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. And I wrote a little post on Instagram and I asked my social media friends, whether they're really friends or foes, I don't know. But I asked them to pray. And it's amazing what happened. All of a sudden, people started to come from all over the place. And they started to pray. They went from Instagram to Facebook, and they went from Facebook to people's personal prayer chains and personal phone calls and personal emails. And people started to spread and ask for prayer. And all of a sudden, I started to see the body of Christ coming together, laying down differences, and joining hands together, believing God to push through a miracle. And this was the feast that I found at my table. And I want to tell you this, friends. There's a table prepared for you in the presence of your enemies also. There's a table that he's setting for you with food. But he's also prepared it for other people to come in around and surround and join hands with you and believe him for the celebration in the midst of what seems like darkness. Thank you, Jesus. Just find your feast. Find your feast. In the middle of what you're going through, find the feast. I know it's difficult. We sat at that table and we were eating for days with our friends, talking and worshiping and praying for days. And I'm so thankful for all of the, and so many of you are here tonight that prayed with us and joined hands with us and contended destiny was talking to me earlier tonight and talking about how much she prayed and was asking other people to pray and it's amazing what can happen when the body of christ joins hands together as the body of christ isn't it amazing and uh so here we are he's preparing a table it's in the presence of my enemies and then get ready to go to another level. Second part of verse 5. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now, the placement of this is no mistake. This is the journey in the glory. What's the journey? The journey is God brings you in. 
brings you into rest, brings you into an understanding and knowing of who he is, brings you into an assurity, begins to reset your, your mind, your will, your emotions, your soul, so that you can know that he's God. It doesn't matter what's happening outwardly. There's something inwardly that's, that's working for you. And all of a sudden you face the trial in your life, but now you're not facing it trying to battle out of the, the natural because the, the weapons of our warfare are powerful and mighty. But listen, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle that we're facing. And all of a sudden now he's given a spiritual perspective to understand that although we walk through this valley of the shadow, he's right there with us. And so there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to become anxious, but he's literally moving us or pushing us through as he prepares a feast in the presence of our enemies, which really makes the devil upset, really makes the devil upset. Because the devil's trying to get you discouraged and you're just like, ooh, that's a beautiful feast. I'm going to start celebrating the goodness of God. I'm not celebrating the, the problem or the, the trial. I'm celebrating the goodness of God. And then, as the devil is so upset, and don't you love this about God? I mean, he knows how to slap the devil in the face and kick him. I mean, I, I, he really knows how to give him a black eye. And take them down all at the same time. I mean, really. In the very place where the enemy has tried to take you out and tries to eliminate the call, the plan, the giftings, the anointings, God shows up and he says, okay, it's anointing time. It's time for an anointing service. In the middle of your darkest hour, when you feel like you're going down, you know what the anointing is? The anointing is that demarcation point when God comes upon you and says, you're now being set into your plan. You're now being set into your calling. I'm anointing you to do the job I created you to do. I'm anointing you to be everything that you are called to be. And when the devil's trying to take you out, God says it's time for an anointing service. It's time for a lift up. It's time to go to the next level. It's time to rise and shine for your light has come. And he anoints you with fresh oil and not just like a little bit in the middle of your forehead. But he slathers it on. And I'm telling you, he pours it out and your cup begins to overflow because there's so much goodness and there's so much anointing that's being released to you. And all of a sudden, instead of being taken out, suddenly you recognize that in the very place where the enemy tried to mess with you, that was the place that you're called to stand. Oh yes, that's the place that you're called to overcome. That's the place of your breakthrough. The devil tried to discredit my life, my message, and my ministry. Tried to take out my daughter, rip out her tongue. But God, the good shepherd, he led me through this pathway of glory and I saw it so clearly what was happening. And day by day, I would see the little small changes, the improvements that would be happening. And I saw pink begin to come back into her tongue. And this is this amazes me. I was the only one taking photos. The only one. 
The doctors didn't take photos. The nurses didn't take photos. You would think when they were trying to get the swelling to go down and the color to change that they would want to take photos. This is my idea. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And because I have the photos, the hospitals wanted to do a whole report on the whole, uh, all the events that happened over 17 days. Because they've never ever seen it before. They don't understand what it is. Completely baffled by the whole thing altogether. But I would see the little changes every day. And sometimes the, the different ones would come in. they say, no, I don't see any change. And I'd show them the photo. I'd say, look it. This is the photo yesterday. And this is the photo today. And I want to say this because I don't want to sound disrespectful towards the medical community. I am extremely thankful to the doctors and the nurses for their care, their nurture. They took care of my daughter. They kept her alive. Okay? They did what they knew to do to keep, to stabilize the situation. But with that said, all throughout every single day, no matter how many tests they did, no matter how many studies and notes and books they went to to read, they could not figure out what was wrong with the tongue. And it bothered them to no end. Because if you can't figure out what's wrong with the tongue, then you don't know how to treat it. They tried all different kind of just random treatments. Maybe this will work. Maybe that will work. And that was none of it. None of it was the right answer. And Dr. Robin Harfu, she called me one night. She's on the phone and she said, uh, she said, Joshua, you know why they, they can't diagnose it? I said, why? Because they're not good at diagnosing demons. They, they don't diagnose demonic assignments. They won't just call it a demon. They just won't. And so, so, <laughs> but when you realize what it is, hallelujah, and our friends, and I'm so thankful, we have, I'm telling you, I really believe that Janet and I, we have the best glory family. All over the world, you guys are included in it. I mean, all over the world, we have some of the greatest friends, the greatest uh, family members, the greatest relationships, people that really know how to press into the spirit and push through for miracles. And uh, I am so thankful for that support. We had prayers coming in. We had phone calls coming in with prayers. Um, I spoke with all the who's who in the charismatic zoo. I mean, really, they all called. And it's amazing. It's amazing to see that when you're going through something, your friends will call. You know, that's amazing to me. And uh, and it's also amazing, the friends that don't call, isn't it? Uh, okay, anyway, moving on. Uh, uh, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank, come on, just lift up your hands in the realm. Just lift up your hands in the realm. We worship the Lord. And sometimes we'll be at the side of the bed worshiping there was one day when our friends kelly and robert og in miami florida they began doing a live worship over i think it was facebook and we played it into liberty's room and the nurses came they gathered around the bed and they said what is this that's playing and we said oh they're singing right now live from miami they said you know people in florida (laughs) i said yeah i know people in florida i do uh (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, they would sing out prophetically, and they would be singing my daughter's name, and they'd be singing healing. And the nurses were so touched because the atmosphere was so thick and so strong. Praise changes the atmosphere. Your prayers are changing. The, the prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Do not give up in doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Sometimes you got to press and press. Sometimes it's just keep on walking. But listen, as you're on this pathway of glory, if you'll follow the good shepherd, keep him in your vision and your sight. I'm telling you this. He's going to take you to a place where everything is all right and it will manifest in the natural the blessings of God and you will begin to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, not just in the by and by, but God has blessings to fill your life. There are unlimited giftings that he wants to give to you, unlimited miracles that he wants to flow through. There are signs and there are wonders. There is power encounters. There's visitations. There's angelic assignment. Listen, he's releasing glory unto you that you would be able to live this life in the glory of God. Hallelujah.